I'm Eric Sean. You're listening to Riddle, the podcast, my companion series to the Fox Nation show, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa. Teamsters leader Jimmy Hoffa disappeared on July 30th, 1975, and our episodes detail our Fox Nation investigation of the case. With us now, Scott Bernstein. Scott's from Detroit. He's a mob historian, author, and writes on the site gangsterreport.com. His family was in the mob in the Motor City, and he is considered the top mafia expert there. He does not believe that Frank the Irishman Sharon killed Offa. Sharon, the subject of the Martin Scorsese Robert De Niro film, The Irishman. Sharon told me in 2001 that he shot and killed Offa in a house in Detroit. Authorities, though, ultimately determined that Sharon's claim was unfounded. What do you think happened? Well, the long and the short of it, uh, I would say that uh, Jimmy Hoffa was... Uh, picked up that afternoon on July 30th, 1975, uh, from a Bloomfield Township restaurant known as the Red Fox um, by members of the Detroit crime family and probably members of the Genovese crime family. Uh, I believe he was taken about a two- to three-minute drive north on Telegraph um, to a house that was owned by a... uh, Detroit mob soldier who uh, traced his um, gangland bloodline to uh, underworld royalty back on the West Coast named Carlo Licata. His father was the godfather of the Los Angeles Mafia, and he married into the Detroit crime family in the 1950s. His house was a known meeting place uh, for sit-downs between the Giacalone brothers uh, and Jimmy Hoffa, Giacalone brothers being the uh, face of the Detroit Mafia for over half a century. Um, the Detroit Mob Street Bosses, the guys that were in charge of controlling Jimmy Hoffa and the uh, the tandem that was, uh, according to my research, uh, tasked with coordinating the details of the Hoffa uh, kidnapping and murder. Uh, I believe he was taken to that house under the, the sit-down that he was supposed to attend with Tony Giacalone and Tony Provenzano had been moved. Um, I believe Billy Giacalone was probably in the car and uh, was the lure uh, to get Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Hoffa comfortable. You know, if he saw Billy Giacalone telling him that he was taking him to a house that he had been to on previous occasions to meet with Tony Giacalone, I believe he would feel comfortable, especially since it was only about a two, three minute drive. And Billy, is, Billy is Vito. Vito, uh, yeah, Tony Vito Giacalone yes. is also known as Billy Giacalone. Great, yeah, great. Uh, Billy is uh, an, uh, is an Americanized version of Vito. Uh, I believe he was taken to the Lakata House on Long Lake Road, um, which was known in uh, Detroit mob circles as the House on the Hill because it sat kind of raised from the road and it had a, a drive-in, uh, a little garage and driveway that stood. Uh, kind of hidden from uh, the rest of the house and, and removed from the main road. And I believe he was taken there and, and, and killed. And then my belief is that he was then uh, transported to central sanitation um, in Hantramic, which was a mob-owned uh, trash company that had an incinerator in it. 
I believe he was incinerated at Central Sanitation. Central Sanitation was owned by Detroit mob capos Peter Bazzi Vitali and Rafael Jimmy the Goon Quasarano. Uh, Central Sanitation burned down in a, a suspicious a, a arson fire, uh, I believe in 1977, before the FBI could get a search warrant to go in there. Um, and FBI surveillance units um, tracked Quasarano and Vitali uh, in the days after Hoffa disappeared to New York City, where they followed them to a meeting with uh, Anthony Fat Tony Salerno, who at that time was the acting boss or the front boss of the of the Genovese crime family. I believe that was a meeting of the minds to to let the uh, New York contingent know what had happened in Detroit. Um, that all said. In terms of where the body was disposed of, uh, although that's my that's the, the belief that I lean towards, uh, I, I'm relatively confident that, that that's what happened. I don't dismiss the research that Dan Waldea has put forward that possibly he was um, disposed of uh, by the Genovese crime family and Ralph Brother Moscato. Uh, our our new uh, program, as the viewers will know, on Fox Nation and reporting on the Fox News Channel focuses on Moscato, uh, his son Phil, saying that his father told him uh, where the body that the body was brought back to New Jersey and where it was buried. He will not publicly give out the location of that. And there's also uh, the co-owner of the dump, uh, uh, Frank uh, uh, Capola whose father on the dump, uh, saying that his father brought the body in and has detailed descriptions. Having said that, uh, having been out and covered Frank Sherham and and having uh, having believed that for years because of the blood pattern he found in the house, but now having new information um, uh, that contradicts my reporting, which is fine, which I understand. Let's get back to one point. People would say, well, they wouldn't, bring they wouldn't drive the body from detroit to new jersey yeah i i tend to believe that but again i i i would never dismiss any contribution um to hoffa research or uh the, the quest to finally put this mystery to bed I, I would not uh dismiss any of, of of information that came from that regard from dan moldea he is what I call the godfather of Hoffa <laughs> yes. research. It all started with him. He is the seminal researcher in this case. So uh, if he believes it, if, if it comes from the fruit of his labor, uh, I cannot dismiss it. Is it, I guess the common sense, uh, the Detroit view, in a way has common sense. And I've always thought you're not going to take that body. It's, it's the hottest unknown property, uh, 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 Jimmy Hoffa, missing you're not going to uh drive him through four states and 613 miles but at the same time uh back in that age we have to remember there was no cell phones it wasn't instantaneous as today and they wouldn't have known he would be missing until five six hours after he disappeared at about uh, uh three four o'clock or if not long yeah. yeah certainly by the time the papers hit in the morning it, it starts to get out um so potentially it could be possible not to dismiss at all what you say. It could be possible to get him that get him out of Detroit while everybody's looking at Detroit. But and this is what's so fascinating about this, Scott, your uh, a perspective and information about that meeting. And I guess which is with uh, Fat Tony in Vesuvio restaurant. There's no other explanation, I would think, uh, to have uh, uh, them in New York reporting to the to the bosses. 
Yeah, but I, I also frankly kind of take umbrage with that narrative as well. I don't think they were really reporting to the bosses as much as sitting down with uh, their contemporaries and letting them know what, what happened. Okay. I, I, I'm a kind of offended at the notion, and I'm not saying that you're, you're putting forth this notion, but the notion and the common narrative that Detroit was kind of this afterthought, that they're very marginalized in, in the whole Hoffa narrative, when in reality Detroit was coordinating the, the entire conspiracy. Um, and Detroit never answered to New York. Uh, Detroit held a, uh, a seat on the commission. They were considered uh, on equal footing with the New York mafia. They were not, um, they did not defer. They did not have to um, ask permission to do anything. So I, I believe this was a Detroit job. I believe the order came from Detroit, but I believe that because of the um, high profile nature of this hit, it had to be sanctioned by the commission. and. Uh, in addition to the um, the effort to get Hoffa out in the open, they had to use the Genovese and, and Tony Provenzano as kind of that carrot because of the, the longstanding beef between Provenzano and Hoffa and Hoffa needing to get Provenzano on his side to reclaim the Teamsters in the 76 election. I believe Hoffa would have been kind of uh, so obsessed with taking back the Teamsters, he would have been blinded by the notion that it was a setup. That he, he, he was so wanted, he wanted to believe that, that he could mend fences with Provenzano when in reality it was just a, a means to an end for the, for, for, for the American mafia to get uh, Hoffa out out in the open so he could be killed. I apologize for being a uh, a, a obnoxious no. uh, New Yorker, <laughs> chauvinist Never New Yorker. That's the, that's the, that's the narrative. It's not but you're right. That's the common narrative. The Detroit would, have, would be equal, uh, not subservient to New York, and they would treat uh, other men of, quote, honor, unquote, as respected peers. Uh, uh, in that way, delve into that a little bit, if you could, about the, the characters well, did, well, in I Detroit. Mean, well, Hoffa was a was a Detroiter, so I mean the entire Hoffa story really starts and ends in Detroit. So it's only natural that the Detroit mob would play a major role um, in the 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 rise and fall of, of Jimmy Hoffa. Um, Hoffa got his start in Detroit as a um, a labor organizer on the docks of uh, the Kroger Produce um, Department. Uh, he, he organized a, a famous strike in the um, 1930s known as the Strawberry Strike, which really put his name out um, on, the, on the street as an uh, up-and-coming um, labor uh, power, uh, gravitated towards the Teamsters, got in bed with um, the Detroit mob pretty quickly through an introduction uh, via uh, a girlfriend of his by the name of Sylvia Pagano, uh, was introduced to Detroit mafia racketeers like Francis, um, Frankie Three Fingers Coppola, uh, Angelo, the chairman, Maley, Santo, uh, cockeyed Sam Perone. These were three of the Co- they actually major called him cockeyed? cockeyed Sam or Sammy Sam. the shark. Okay. Uh, they called him cockeyed cause he had kind of a lazy left eye. Okay. They called him Sammy the shark because he was quite vicious. <laughs> <laughs> and these were, these were Hoffa's, uh, entry points, uh, into the labor movement backed by the, uh, Detroit mafia through these, these three uh, major, uh, mob racketeers. Eventually he was, um, put on the fast track towards, um, leadership in the Teamsters. And he was kind of put with, Tony Giacalone, who at that time was um, the rising star in the Detroit Mafia. He was the bodyguard and driver, protege of the uh, legendary godfather, Joe Zerilli, who uh, led the Detroit mob for 
over four decades, mm. had a seat on, had a seat on the commission, um, was very close with all the New York bosses, um, as well as Tony Accardo in Chicago, Angelo Bruno, um, in Philadelphia. And Zerilli kind of assigned Tony Giacalone to look, look after Hoffa because Hoffa was the, the golden goose that was laying the golden eggs, uh, in, in respect to opening up the Teamsters pension fund, um, for mobsters around the country to go in and, and get low interest uh, to, to practically no interest uh, uh, business loans to, to build well, a lot of um, a very profitable, bit, a lot of profitable businesses, including pretty much the entire Las Vegas skyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Tony Giacalone and, and Jimmy Hoffa had worked very closely together for um, at the time of uh, Jimmy's disappearance, it had probably been going on 30, 35 years. And uh, Tony Giacalone was a force of nature. Now, he was, um, you know, the, the, I guess the only equivalent that, that people outside of Detroit would have would be that he was a much smarter, sharper, savvier version of John Gotti. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that enjoyed um, being viewed as a, as, a, as a scary mob figure, uh, someone who wielded power like a blood instrument someone who thought very highly of himself, someone who um, dressed in $10,000 suits, um, was very fastidious, uh, could, could uh, throw you a glare that could cut ice, um, but was someone that was incredibly respected and feared in not just Detroit underworld circles, but uh, nationwide underworld circles. So it, it, it only makes sense that Tony Giacalone would quarterback uh, the, the, the Hoffa murder conspiracy. And, and, and I believe he was um, assigned that responsibility when the decision was made, uh, I believe in probably the spring of 1976 to, uh, to do away with, with Jimmy Hoffa. He had just become too much of a headache. What do you mean, and, mean by uh, spring of 75, you mean? Yeah, what did I say? Yeah. I just said 76. I, just, I assume you mean oh, 75. Oh, 75, I yeah. apologize. Sure, yeah. Spring of 75. Yeah. Um, I'm it with the year I was born. I was born uh, uh, oh. 13 months to the day that Hoffa disappeared in August. Wow. Um, and and, and your, with your experience and delving into uh, into this all these years, you know, what have you heard? The, the I guess I would imagine, I know the uh, those on both sides of the law trust you and rely on you as a, a journalist. Uh, you know, what does your gut tell you? Well, my gut tells me in terms of why we're on this, phone call or this interview right now, why there's all this buzz about Jimmy Hoffa. It's all connected to the Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino film, The Irishman. And I kind of unequivocally, people on both sides of the law that I've interviewed, and I've interviewed dozens of current and retired FBI agents that worked the Hoffa case, um, dating back to when it was red hot in 1975, all the way up until now, because it's an open uh, open investigation, as well as uh, probably over a dozen made members of the Detroit mob. Uh, not a single person gives it a shred of credibility. Um, I've termed the, the, uh, I've termed it historical blasphemy. I think this is just really doing a disservice to, um, what the, uh, common and, and adopt the, what, what the accepted narrative will be going forward. I, I fear that in 50, hundred years from now, when, when kids are studying this in, in school, um, they will be, 
referencing Frank Sheeran as the uh, assassin in this case when I don't believe uh, Frank Sheeran would have. I don't. I, I don't even think there was the the, the thought that bringing Frank Sheeran into this conspiracy, um, well, I don't think it was even on the table. Um, I, I believe that's how far removed he was um, from, from the, the Hoffa kidnapping and, and, and murder. Uh, the Detroit mobsters are offended by the notion that they would have to uh, you know, bring someone in to do their job. You know, I've heard a couple people tell me, you think we needed to bring some drunk Irishman in from Delaware <laughs> to do our own house cleaning? Mm-hmm. Like the Detroit mob are masters of the underworld hit. They are experts at gangland murder. Um, they have a PhD in how to murder and get away with it uh, in, 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 in American mob circles. Um, we're going on, you know, a hundred years uh, of the Detroit mob. Not one person has ever been convicted of a murder. Mm. And we're talking probably, you know, over a hundred murders in that hundred years. Wow. Um, that's so a, that's this is a, a record. Group that is, yeah, this is a group that's incredibly well-versed at um, homicide, how to cover up homicide, how to get away with homicide. Um, the Giacalone brothers both died um, peacefully in their own bed. Uh, and they were suspects, both of them in probably two to three dozen gangland homicides. Mm. So, you know, these were guys that, that knew exactly what to do, how to do it, and how to get away with it. So the notion that they would have to bring in um, some carpetbagger, frankly, from Delaware um, to, to do that job is just, you know, it, just people think it's delusional. I mean, people around here in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, and people in the Detroit underworld. And, and other experts, I mean, a lot of other experts, too, uh, join you in that consensus. And yeah. uh, is there any sense of how he got into the Hoffex memo? Because if you read the Hoffex memo, it says he was yeah. in Detroit, which could make sense if he drove Russell Buffalino well, to in- the wedding. But there, I'm trying to figure out what else. What else? I did I- read one FBI report that talks about him. uh I, I, I don't believe he was. I don't believe he was in Detroit on the day of the murder. I believe he was in Detroit that week, along with mob luminaries from around the country that yeah. were descending on uh, Metro Detroit that that weekend for the, the wedding of, of Bill Buffalino's daughter. So, I mean, you could probably <laughs> put together a rogues gallery of of two to two dozen prominent mob figures that were in Detroit that week. <clears throat> so, the fact that Sheeran was in Detroit. Um, at, you know, around the time that Hoffa disappeared, doesn't really mean much to me because of the, um, because of the surrounding circumstances. But I mean, he made it into the team. He made it into the Hoffa memo because he was a, uh, a heavy, he was a teamster goon that did a lot of, or I should say did Hoffa's bidding or did some of Hoffa's bidding, um, in the Philadelphia, New Jersey, or sorry, in the Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, Delaware area. Um, he, he was someone that I believe was involved in uh, labor-related murders in the past. Um, so it doesn't necessarily shock me that he got mentioned in the Hoffax memo. But that all said, uh, I don't believe he, he really had any, any direct knowledge or would have ever been trusted to the point where he would have a direct knowledge uh, of something that w- was this high priority. And what Chuck is Chuck O'Brien, by the way? And, and yeah. by the way, same thing with Chuck O'Brien, who's gotten dragged into this um, kind of unwillfully uh, Hoffa's surrogate son, who 
um, has been in the narrative painted as as the driver of the car that that ushered Hoffa to a slaughter. And I, I just I believe that's a, a total falsehood as well. Jack Goldsmith is we have a podcast with him uh, with and his book in Hoffa's Shadow. Uh, I, I recommend heartily to our listeners. Excellent, excellent book. Excellent uh, research. Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. And really brings it to life and, and, and that argument uh, about Chucky. Um, so, the movie. Chucky, uh, just backtracking yeah. one, one quick second, just to let people know. Chucky O'Brien, yes, was, was Hoffa's surrogate son um, and had kind of grown up in the Hoffa family. But by 1975, Chucky O'Brien and Jimmy Hoffa were not on speaking terms. They, they'd had a very bitter falling out. So the idea that the Detroit mob, and this is, again, being, this is being espoused by Sharon as well, which to me undermines his own credibility. Um, the idea that the mob would use Chucky O'Brien as the driver um, would only get Hoffa uh, amped up and excited and mad um, at a time where you wanted to lower his guard and make mm-hmm. him as calm as possible and as comfortable as possible. Um, and furthermore, he would have never gotten into a car with Chucky O'Brien at that point. Yeah. So the notion that Chucky O'Brien helped get him into the car is 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 ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And and to you as someone who is so deep into this and has followed it and has such uh, integrity, uh, what is the tragedy in a sense? And that may be too strong a word, but in the fact that this film is out with that type of narrative, uh, as well, you the said, tragedy is that this this is really the equivalent in a lot of ways to a political assassination. Um, Hoffa was a de facto head of state. I mean, outside of the president of the United States, I don't think there was a more powerful, powerful person um, in America at, at the height of, of his reign as Teamsters president than Jimmy Hoffa. So it, this would be like, you know, reading a history book, uh, talking about, you know, the Abraham Lincoln assassination or the JFK assassination and, and, and giving blatant falsehoods. Um, so I think it's important historically to to set the record straight and i think it's this is now going to be kind of accepted as the gospel because it's coming from marty scorsese and robert de niro i think that's that's the real shame and some people will look at it you know and the title of the uh, the book that's now out as it used to be called i, I heard you paint houses they've now retitled it the irishman to kind of piggyback off the book but i think the 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 subtitle is now the case is now closed on jimmy hoffa or something along the way. and it's it's far from closed so i just it worries me and upsets me that this is now becoming the um, the given, the accepted universal narrative. Yes, yes. And finally, um, in terms of closing the case, uh, what will it take? What do you think? What, what, what's your, your sense of something finally? Because you, well, you, you forget that there's the Hoffa family. Barbara yeah. and James P., a, a real man who have lived through this. It's been a nightmare for them. They're not happy with this film. Causes them emotional pain. Uh, uh, let's give th- credit to James. Let's give credit to James P. Hoffa yeah. for really righting the wrongs of his father. He went into the Teamsters Union, I believe, in 1996. He cleaned it up. The Teamsters is as clean as it's ever been right now in terms of um, uh, chicanery and underworld influence. And um, you know, James Hoffa has done has done right by his family, by the, by the Teamsters Brotherhood, um, and has really been a, a, a shining legacy, uh, carrying on his, his father's legacy in terms of representing the, the working man and, and doing it probably in a much better way than, than his father did. And do you think we'll ever... But yep, go ahead. I, don't, I, 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 I tend to believe we will, we will never have a concrete answer to what happened. Uh, I think we're kind of 
the ship has already sailed. Too many people are dying off right now. Or I believe there's probably only less than a handful, if that, of people that are around that have true knowledge, if not firsthand, then very solid secondhand knowledge of, of what happened. If I had to, if I was a betting man, I would bet that we're never going to have a, mm. uh, a final conclusion. I hope we do. I hope people like myself and Dan Maldea and, and yourself and Jack Goldsmith you keep pounding the pavement and keep shaking the tree. Hopefully that coconut eventually <laughs> falls down and hopefully maybe we can get some answers, but I, I just don't have a ton of faith. Yeah. Scott Bernstein, wonderful to talk to you. This will be continued because we are continuing this, folks. And, of course, you can always go see uh, our latest reports on the Fox News channel and on Fox Nation, Riddle, the search for James Arahoffa, which is on Fox Nation now. Scott, thank you. Thanks, Eric. You have been listening to Riddle, the podcast. Watch our show, Riddle, the search for James Arahoffa, on our streaming service, Fox Nation, and news reports on the Fox News channel. Thank you for listening. I'm Eric Schoen. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.